Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Compass Church. So glad to be with you all. And can I wish you all a happy holidays? <laughs> I said that just to irritate you. Wasn't that nice of me? I know you, you go to the store, and as Christians, we tend to get tired of the, the happy holidays greeting. And there's a side of us that just wants to shout, No! This is Christmas! It really is! You know, and so... So I'm glad you feel that way, and uh, let me ask you the question, is it enough to change your greeting from Happy Holidays to Merry Christmas? Do you feel okay now? Oh, <laughs> no. You say, well, yeah, but Santa, you know, and I, admittedly, there are some who are not Happy Holidays people. They're, they're Merry Christmas people, but they're Merry Christmas is all about the commercial side of things. Is, is that satisfactory? No. You know, we want Merry Christmas. One more slide. We want Merry Christmas to be about Jesus and to recognize that it is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. But is that enough? I had an interesting experience Friday night. We gathered as a family to watch a Christmas special on TV and one on Netflix. They've got a section where you can bring up Christmas specials. And my, my kids... <laughs> Younger two were like, what's Pee Wee Herman's Christmas special? <laughs> no, 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 we don't want to. I go, that's really bad, really bad. And they're like, we, we want to see Pee Wee Herman. I'm like, no, no, you don't, you don't, you know. And got into a battle with them, and finally I just gave up. I'm like, all right, fine. You know, tw- 27 years ago, the only, the only partly amusing Part of it was that he had this, all these celebrities come through and seeing all these people 27 years ago was kind of fun. But it was just painful, just painful. And at the very end of it, Pee Wee Herman says, Do you know the true meaning of Christmas? And I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. But to my pleasure, he said, it's the birth of the Christ child. And then that was kind of how it ended. And I, and I thought to myself, I'm both encouraged and discouraged. I'm encouraged that Pee Wee Herman acknowledged that Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birth. But it was discouraging as far as now if you say, I recognize that this is Jesus' birthday. You're at the level of Pee Wee Herman. Congratulations, you know, you and he. There's more than that. The more is saying it's more than just acknowledging Jesus was born. I want to celebrate Christmas with a soul recognition of what the birth of Jesus means. Where does it connect with our lives? Why is it a big deal? And as we celebrate Christmas, this Christmas, it's my prayer that all of us will, yes, say Merry Christmas, and yes, say it's about the birth of Jesus, but be able to say, I am stoked and rejoicing this Christmas because I feel it. I see the connections between the birth of Christ and my life. It changes everything. And what's fun is that the song we're going to study, Zechariah's song, helps us in just that way. It will help us connect our soul, our heart, to the rejoicing found in the Christmas event. The series, Playlist Christmas, is all about these four biblical songs. Uh, Zechariah's song 
is a, is a long one, and admittedly, we're only going to study the first half of it. The second half of Zechariah's song is what I preached on last Christmas Eve. So if you want to learn about that, go back and watch the Christmas Eve uh, service last year. But I've never preached on the first half of the song, and I'm excited to do it with you. Allow me to give the context to Zechariah's situation. He's the father of John the Baptist. He's the husband of Elizabeth, who we were introduced to last week. He's a priest. And as he was serving in the temple one year, an angel of the Lord came to him and said, you and your wife, though you're old, will be with child. And he was like, yeah, right. You know, he didn't believe. And that lack of faith was disciplined by striking him mute. God didn't let him talk, say a word. He couldn't speak for the entirety of his wife's pregnancy. And then finally, at the end of the pregnancy, uh, they were debating on what to call this little boy, and he grabbed something he wrote down. His name will be John. And he was all passionate about it because the angel had told him, you're to name him John. And in that act of obedience and faith, God said, all right, let's let him talk. And boom, his tongue is loosed, and he can speak, and he can sing. And a song bursts from his heart, a song pent up for nine months. It's drawn by the Spirit of God, a song that's going to minister to us. So you ready? Let's read. Uh, This is also found in Luke 1. We were in Luke 1 last week. We're actually going to be in Luke, the entirety of the series, Luke 1 and 2. But today we're starting uh, in verse 67. And in your Bible, in the back of your chair back, you can find it on page 1026. 1026. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because... So he's filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? And he shouts, Praise be to the Lord. He is celebrating God. Do we need to help Zechariah get in the Christmas spirit? No, no help needed. He's there. Why? Because he understands the significance of the arrival of the Messiah. He says, I'll tell you, we should praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because... And he's about to show us the reasons why. He's about to tell us why the arrival of Christ is so significant. Now, here's how he does it. I'll just give you a preparation here. He does it by using dramatic, evocative language, terminology that has drama pregnant within it, okay? The coming of Jesus is dramatic, and he helps us see that. Now, here's the problem. He uses uh, verbs and words that point to the drama of of a slave being freed and of a criminal being pardoned and of a soldier gaining victory. And those things are great. You know, it's as if this great spiritual truth is difficult for us to get our hearts around. So Luke in his, I'm sorry, in Zechariah in his song says, this spiritual stuff is kind of like this human drama, which helps us relate. But I don't relate real well because I've never been a slave who's been freed, a criminal who's been pardoned, or a soldier 
who's had victory. <laughs> I'm, I'm relatively naive to that stuff. And so for me, I had to take the analogy down to a whole nother level. And I'm going to talk about child children's games, shall we? I have played kids' games in the neighborhood and in the school gym. And I think you're going to find, as I draw that children's games, maybe the drama of Christmas is even more accessible to our hearts. So let me start with a a children's game, all right? This will bring us into the first biblical point. First child's game is dodgeball. I need to know. Anybody ever played dodgeball before? Raise your hands. All right, we got some. This is a fun game. Violent, you know, and so fun. Uh, When I was a kid, we would go into the gym. Half the group would be on one side of the gym. The other team would be on the other side. And the goal was to throw the ball and hit your opponent. And I was always so enthusiastic. I, I have the passion of an athlete. It's just too bad I don't have any athletical ability, you know. But So I'd get up there, and I'd throw, and it'd go like 10 feet over their head. You know, I was just never any good at it. But I was a good target. You know, as soon as the game began, as soon as the game began, I'd have my pitiful throw. Sure enough, some big dude just, zoo, bam! And oh, I can still feel the sting, you know, and I get hit. And then in dodgeball, here comes the humiliation. Do you remember this? I mean, here we're, again, seconds into the game, and I'm already out. And, and when you're out, you have to go to the back of the gym, and you have to sit down. Oh, I mean, I can just remember sitting there, you know, and people would say, Griffin, are you already out? Yeah, I'm already out, you know. And, and then as I'm sitting in my humiliation, I remember one time, one of my friends who was good at the game kind of came back by me, and he's like, Jeff. Who got you out? And I'd say, that big blonde kid in the green shirt. And he goes, all right. Because there's a rule in dodgeball that if the person who got you out gets out, you are free to get on your feet and return to the game. And I remember it so well. My buddy saw the guy in the green shirt. Boom! Bam! And he came back to me and he goes, Jeff, on your feet. And my dignity was restored as I rose up and could hold my head high once again, no longer dead, but once more alive. You feeling the drama? That's Christmas, my friends. That's Christmas. Let's, let's talk about it. Okay, turning now to the biblical text. The song of Zechariah continues in verse 68. It says, he, remember, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. There we go. All right, he's come to his people. What is Christmas? Christmas is the coming of God to us. It's the incarnation, God joining us in human flesh. Why is he here? Well, for one, he is here to redeem us. To redeem someone is to pay the price necessary to release them from their enslavement. In the ancient culture, people would get 
become a slave out of debt. They'd owe so much money, they were unable to pay it, and eventually the legal system just says, you have become the property of the one you owe. And you will remain the property, the slave of the one you owe until your debts and all associated accumulated interest is paid. And so it was an awful, humiliating scenario. There was a redeemer, specifically known as the kinsman redeemer. We see that concept in the Old Testament. And the kinsman was a family member who chose to pay the redemption price to get a slave freed. Imagine this. Imagine you're the slave. I mean, you've just been a horrible financial manager, got yourself into a world of debt. You've lost your freedom. You are in humiliation as the property of another every day. You can't even go do what you want to do because your life is not your own. You belong and must submit to the bidding of another. And in that humiliation, one day there's a knock on your slave quarter's door And there's a a second cousin who you haven't seen since childhood. And he says, remember me? I remember you. And then he's like, well, come on in. A little awkward. He says, hey, I'm sorry for stopping by uh, to surprise you, but, uh, you know, your situation, the family kind of knows. I don't know if you're okay with this, but we've been talking about you a little bit and what you've gotten yourself into. And here's the deal. I've been in business for some time, and, actually been richly blessed. And so I came in this morning. I talked with your, what do you say, owner, master? I don't know. What do you call him? Anyways, I talked with him and I asked him, what's the redemption price necessary to free my second cousin? And he told me the amount and it turns out to be within my means. And so I paid it. As of 1030 this morning, you are free. Can you imagine the joy of that moment when suddenly you realize that your very dignity has been restored. You are no longer a slave. You are a free man, a woman, and you can rise up and live a life holding your head high. That's our joy because of Christmas. Christmas is the arrival of our kinsman redeemer. Jesus has come to pay a price. We are enslaved, enslaved to sin. We, are, we, we sold our soul to the kingdom of darkness through our rebellion. Our sin has destroyed the dignity with which God made us. And as a result, we're pitiful, wretched fools. But one has come who is our kinsman redeemer. And he comes not with gold to pay the price. The price that he paid was his own blood. When Jesus died on the cross, he was paying the penalty. He was satisfying justice, dying on our behalf. And with the death penalty paid, he looks at us and he says, get up off that floor because that's not you anymore. You are a new creation. You have been redeemed. You have been restored. You are not only free, you are a child of the living God. He's adopted you into his family. Everything has changed for you because the redemption price has been paid. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because we'd be a mess 
an embarrassing, pathetic mess. But one has come, the arrival of the kinsman redeemer who paid the price and changed everything for us. Let's go to the next one. The next uh, game that will help us relate to the next point is one I used to play called Kick the Can. All right, raise your hand. Anybody played Kick the Can? We got some as well. I'm glad to hear that. So Kick the Can was fun. I grew up on a cul-de-sac, which is an ideal Kick the Can environment. We would put the can right in the middle of the cul-de-sac, and someone would be it. They would close their eyes and count while everybody hid. And you would hide, and then the guy who was it would try to find you and tag you. And here's how it would work. You know, in your hiding place behind the bush, you'd watch and you'd try to see where the guy was it was. And, and when the, the moment was right, when you felt like you could get to the can, you'd burst out of your hiding place and take off running. Now, this is where the drama lives because in that moment, you're, you're exposed. You're vulnerable. The guy who's it clearly sees you and he takes off running to tag you. And the question is, will you get to the can before, if you kick the can before he tags you, you win. If he tags you before you can kick the can, you lose. And so the, the, the drama there, the desperate race to your only hope, which is that can. Do you feel it? That's Christmas. Uh, you say, what do you mean that's Christmas? Oh, let me show you the song continues. Verse 69. He, the Lord, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. God has provided a horn of salvation. Now that's a confusing term. And admittedly, the Theologians even debate as to what's being referred to by the horn of salvation. Some of them think that an animal's horn is somehow symbolic of God's saving. I don't agree with that. There's another interpretation that I think makes more sense. There was another horn in the ancient biblical world, and that was the four corners of an altar were called horns of the altar four-horned altar. In fact, right here in Chicago, at the University of Chicago, I went to the Oriental Institute, their museum, and this is an incense altar excavated out of Israel that's sitting in Chicago. Incense altars are small. This is only like a foot and a half wide. But you'll see how the four corners are raised. Those were called the horns of the altar. They've also excavated out of Israel a, a big, not an incense altar, a big one. Here's another picture. This one's in the museum in Jerusalem. And it's massive. It's difficult to get perspective here, but that's seven feet by seven feet. This is a really big altar. This was the animal sacrifice altar where an animal would be sacrificed and burned. All right? Look at the horns once again. Those are the horns of the altar. The ancient tradition that we can find in the scriptures is that if a criminal was repentant and gutsy, they could make a move for trying, before they were arrested, trying to get to Jerusalem 
trying to get to the temple courtyard and trying to get to the altar. And if before they were caught and arrested, they could grab hold of the horn of the altar, they would be pardoned. Grace would come their way. You say, where is this in Scripture? 1 Kings chapter 1 talks about a guy by the name of Adonijah. Adonijah was a criminal, and Solomon was the new king, and he thought, oh man, I'm doomed. And so Solomon was told, Adonijah is clinging to the horn of the altar. And then the next chapter, 1 Kings 2, Joab, who was the commander of David's army during David's day, finds himself a criminal guilty of murder. And he too runs desperately, and the passage says, was holding on to the horn of the altar. You know, the notion is this. The altar is a place of forgiveness. The altar is where the animal dies on behalf of the guilty. You know, the, the penalty of death should be paid. The animal is our substitute. The animal takes the guilt on itself, pays the death penalty so that we, in God's eyes, could be forgiven. And what the criminal is saying is, listen, if I can find forgiveness in God's eyes, shouldn't I find it from you, the king, as well? Imagine the drama, will you? The drama of a criminal being in some remote village where he's relatively hidden, saying, you know, I could try to just live under the radar and avoid the authorities, or... I can try to get pardoned. It'll be risky. I'll have to go out of my hiding place in this obscure village. I'll have to go into the capital city, the the heart of the legal system. I'll have to enter the walls of the city and then approach the most popular place in the world, the, the holy temple courtyard, and enter in. But he says, I gotta try it. So with hood over his head, hoping no one recognizes him, that criminal would make his way to Jerusalem, pass through the city gates, heart pounding, and eventually the moment for the dash would come, where he'd throw his hood back and just run like crazy. Run, hopefully before he's recognized and arrested, grabbing the altar and finding forgiveness. It's just like that mad dash playing kick the can. My only hope is this place of victory, this place of redemption, of forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? Who is our altar? Who is our horn of salvation? It's Jesus Christ. You know, apart from the coming of Jesus, we're dead in our sins. We got this guilt and the shame. You know, we know what we've done. We know the evil that lurks within. And it's gross. And we hate it. And there is no means of forgiveness apart from the coming of Christ, the horn of salvation. But with Christmas, with the coming of Jesus, There is one to run to. And all of us who are Christians, we've run. We've sprinted in desperation and vulnerability and we've clung to Christ and said, you're my only hope. And in him, we've found pardon. Our sins, as ugly as they were, they've all been washed away. We've been made clean. You know, Jesus said, as, or the Lord said, as far as the east is from the west, so far have your transgressions been removed. They're gone. You are as white as snow. 
righteous in his eyes. And without the coming of the horn of salvation, no option for that forgiveness exists. Why do we celebrate Christmas? <laughs> because Jesus is not only Jesus is not only our kinsman redeemer, he is also our horn of salvation. Well, the last point can be illustrated by the game that I love to play called Capture the Flag. Maybe not quite as popular. Help me. Raise your hand if you've ever played Capture the Flag. Oh, some of you have. I'm glad to see that. I used to go up to camp, and this was a good game to play at camp. They would divide this huge amount of territory in half, or a road usually divided into the two halves. One team on one side, the other team on the other. Both would hide a flag deep in the woods. And the goal was to go into enemy-occupied territory. Now, the danger is when you cross that road into your enemy's territory, all you had to do was be tagged, and you were out. You were in jail, all right? And so uh, it was scary to do so, but you had to go there if you were going to win because to win meant you had to go deep into enemy territory, capture the flag, and that wasn't enough. You then had to run it all the way back and get it onto your side. And if you could do that, then you won. Well, the courageous pastor that you have would walk right up to the road, right up to the line, and I'd look over. You know, I'd look over. Sometimes I'd put my foot over, you know, and scared to death. You know, I'm a little bit of a timid type. And so entering enemy-occupied territory was just too frightful for me, and so I would play defense. (laughs) I'll stay in our territory and guard our flag, you know. And eventually, that game can go on for hours. I don't know if you've ever played a really long capture the flag game, but the time would wear on me, and I'd say, you know what? This is boring. I gotta gotta go for it. I gotta go into enemy-occupied territory. And I would cross the line deep in the woods, you know, where I wouldn't be seen and I'd be scared to death. As I finally crossed over into their territory, my heart would be racing. I'd go from bush to bush, a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. The deeper I went, the more the anxiety, you know, was in me. Did I capture the flag? Of course not. But <laughs> I remember well when one of my teammates would and suddenly bursting out of the woods. You know, I'd see running for the boundary line as fast as I can, one of my teammates holding the flag up high. And at that point, you know, I'd jump out of my spot and run alongside of them as if I had something to do with this victory. You know, I'd be, let's go, let's go, let's go. We'd run and we'd run and we'd run. And when we finally crossed the line into our territory, Oh, the joy, the shouts of victory calling all of our teammates to come out of hiding. The victory is ours. And in a minute, in a minute, everything changed. From hiding in the bush, scared to death, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, to suddenly freely dancing, celebrating victory. Feel the drama? That's Christmas. You say, how's that Christmas? Well, let's turn to the text. The song of Zechariah continues. Reading now in verse 71. Salvation from our enemies. What is Christmas? It's salvation from our enemies. From the hand of all who hate us. Ooh, I feel the pain here. The hand, the right hand, the arm is always a symbol of power. 
And so we have enemies. The, the, the drama here is of enemies who've got power and they hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he, God, swore to our father Abraham. In other words, this salvation from our enemies is all in line of the promise God made way back to Abraham. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Do you see the shift in this verse? Oh, the shift. You know, the the people, the enemy hates us and their hand is bearing down on us and we are in desperate position, but suddenly God comes and he rescues us. And what's the new reality? He enables us to serve him without fear. No more fear. The victory is won. We have been rescued He has conquered, and everything changes. There's a peace. Fear is replaced with peace, and joy is forever now. We can serve him in holiness and righteousness before the Lord in celebration of the one we love. This is what Jesus brings. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing but conflict and war. Jesus comes to bring victory and peace. In fact, one of the titles of Jesus in his birth narrative found in Isaiah is Prince of Peace. That's what he is. He's the ruler who brings peace to a war-torn people. Now, here's where the confusion comes in. Admittedly, even today, many Jews, most of the Jews who reject Christ as Messiah do so because he didn't meet their expectations. In prophecies like this, they wanted a very concrete freedom from Roman oppression. You know, in the days of Christ, the Israelites every day dealt with the pain of being oppressed by this Roman Empire. And they imagined that their Messiah would be a political, military leader who would bring freedom and restore Israel as a nation independent of any foreign authority. And when Jesus came with a bigger agenda, they didn't recognize him. When I say bigger agenda, what I mean is he wasn't interested in just a little nation on the Mediterranean Sea. He came to establish the kingdom of God which is worldwide. And the victory that he wanted to bring, the defeat he wanted to bring, was more than just the Roman Empire. It was defeating the kingdom of darkness, the reign of sin in our lives. He freed us and saved us from our eternal destiny of hell. And so they missed it for that reason, but we don't miss it. We understand that apart from Jesus... There was a spiritual death in us. We were doomed. The kingdom of darkness was going to destroy our soul in hell forever. But when the prince of peace came, he brought victory. He died and resurrected, and he is victorious. 
victorious. And as a result, we run beside him. And his victory is our victory. And we no longer tremble in fear saying, oh no, where, where am I? We have assurance of salvation. And the, the rest of our lives in many ways is a victory dance celebrating what we have in Christ. The anxiety over spiritual matters is replaced by the knowledge that we are the children of God headed to heaven forever. And we can celebrate and dance. Problems, yes, but they're all small compared to the incredible victory that is ours in Christ. And so, folks, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. Without him, before him, there is nothing but anxiety over the conflict we find ourselves in. Because of his coming and his victory that he's brought to us, we can raise our hands high and say, it is well with my soul. I no longer live in fear. I am a child of God, forgiven and headed to an eternity with him. You feel the drama? It's Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Well, yeah, for once, it's a birthday party. You're right, it's the birthday of Jesus. But why is the birth of Jesus a big deal? Let's go to a review outline. Jesus came to be three things for us. Three things, and they are, one, he is our kinsman redeemer. Without him, we were miserable slaves to sin, wretched, pitiful, disgusting. But the Lord has come and paid the price to spring us and restore us to the dignity of forgiven children of God. Why is Christmas a celebration? (laughs) Because it's the coming of the horn of salvation, the only means of forgiveness. And as the ancients would run and grab hold of the horn, so we have had a mad dash and we've kicked the can. We've clung to Jesus. We've said, you're my only hope, the only means of forgiveness. And we've been forgiven. All of that junk. Gone. And without the coming of Christ, there would be no means of forgiveness. As it is, we are righteous in his sight. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because he's the great prince of peace. We used to be in enemy-occupied territory filled with anxiety and doubt regarding our position and future. But the victory has been won. Christ has conquered death. And we, being on his team, are part of that great victory. And we celebrate now living in peace. This, the rest of eternity, in so many ways, is a celebration of what we have in Christ. Reconciled, forgiven, headed for heaven forever. Yeah. Is the coming of Jesus a big deal? It's a huge deal. Is Christmas merry? Yeah. You bet it is. So let's pray, shall we? Lord, you know, it dawns on me that some may be turning to you for the very first time, understanding the importance of Christmas for the very first time. And even in this prayer, they're becoming a Christian. They're running to the horn of salvation right now, saying, please forgive me, Jesus. I understand you're my only hope. Receive us, Lord. Receive us all as those who need the Christmas child. We need Jesus. 
He's our only hope. And he's all we need. He is reason for celebration. And Lord, we're going to celebrate you this Christmas with passion because we understand, at least in part, that you, Jesus, you change everything for us. Thank you for coming to save our soul. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.